What is up with it, Panther Nation? This is your sports editor, Daniel Sackhouse, and I'm here for another edition of our special March Madness broadcast. This week, I'm here with a special guest, the, the sports correspondent of the Georgian, DJ Catton. How are you doing today, DJ? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Let's go. Let's go straight in. Let's go straight into it. Let's just kind of, just before we go in, just kind of like, this has been a kind of interesting circum circumstances just like how the tournament has been playing out a lot of upsets what did you think of the first two rounds yourself i oh, mean like like you said there were a lot of upsets uh I, I was driving home on uh the first day of the tournament so me and my dad were watching the games together or roberts taking out ohio state that was that was very unexpected obviously um but i think it just speaks to how everything, how teams were so, um, I don't know how to say it, I guess like, I don't really know how to say it, but my main point is, one of my main points that I wanted to hit on is that the Type 12 is what we thought the Big Ten was this year, just stacks from top to bottom, you got Oregon State, UCLA, USC, all of them um, just, just falling out and putting up numbers. And obviously UCLA in the final four, like we'll talk about later. But it, it was just, it was just very unexpected, obviously. And going and starting with the Pac-12, Oregon, the first game of the of the Sweet 16, Oregon State versus Loyola Chicago, and this was a game that uh, that I was talking about last week. That was gonna that the expectation was is Oregon State was riding high with a lot of momentum from the Pac-12 tournament, their first two games of the tournament, that Loyola Chicago was the place where this was going to end. And to everyone's surprise, it didn't. It was, it was a game where Loyola Chicago had the edge for like the first 10, 15 minutes. Oregon State ended up clawing the lead at the, at the end of the half, and they played they played they ended up beating... Loyal Chicago at their own game because you know Loyal Chicago, the best defensive team in the country, they end up outplaying them on the defensive front. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Oregon State was a team that early on in the season, you know, fought injuries, uh, had some other guys sitting out. They just didn't have a lot of chemistry. And then, and then March is all about hitting your shot at the right time. And and during the Pac-12 tournament and during the NCAA tournament, obviously, they hit their stride and. Uh, I, I saw them, you know, putting up a fight with Tennessee. I didn't think they would win that game, obviously. I didn't think they made the Sweet 16. Um, but, yeah, that was just an impressive by, by um, Oregon State and just very unexpected. I'm shocked. One thing I kind of do want to touch upon with that one game in particular special is Loyola Chicago really struggled on three, at the arch. And that was especially evident late in the game where they had, like, three some open shots that they could have taken to cut that lead and it just ended up never happening. Yeah, I mean they Loyola had every I mean every chance you could ask for it they had. And they just they just uh didn't capitalize and um I didn't I didn't watch that whole game. I was I was on vacation at the time. I didn't watch the whole game but it was just very odd to see Loyola Chicago just struggle like that. Moving on to Baylor versus Villanova, 
early in the throughout the first half, Villanova was looking really strong, and they have been throughout the first half, throughout the first two games of the tournament. But as time went on, Baylor proving why they're the number, why they're the number two overall seed in the tournament, and ended up going further and further away. And when it was time for Villanova to go from push to shove, they just didn't have it. Villanova was impressed. That first half was very impressive, obviously, like you said. But but Baylor's just them and Gonzaga are just are so far ahead of everybody that it's it's just ridiculous. And I think you saw that um, as Baylor started to to pull away and take control. And like in my opinion, Baylor didn't even have that good of a game. I mean, my COT didn't play that good. Jared Butler was four fourteen from the field on one and nine from three. And they just—they were three and nineteen from three overall. They just—they're just so far ahead of everybody that that their struggle, their B game is better than most teams' A game. And I think that's interesting to talk about. Is I mean, for me personally, I didn't want—I didn't buy into the hype for neither Gonzaga nor Baylor. But watching them both in the Sweet Sixteen kind of made me believe that they were the real deal. I mean, I mean, Baylor's just. Or not Baylor. Gonzaga is just just special. I mean, they've gone wire to wire number one. They won like what twenty six straight by double digits, and they've just been their their C game or B minus game is better than than ninety nine percent of teams A plus game. And just to watch them go out there and dominate game after game, it's just ridiculous. And then and then Baylor, they're, they're one of the most intimidating defensive teams in college basketball, in my opinion, and. Their offense is so underrated. They have, I think it's it's five or six guys that are shooting over forty percent, and another from three, and another guy, and two more guys who are shooting like thirty nine percent, thirty eight percent. It's just ridiculous. Let's move on to two seeded Houston versus Syracuse. What was interesting about this one is that they they were actually trading blows in the first half. Both teams, I think, went on a fifteen to three run each in the first like and. Houston had their 15-3 run early, then Syracuse got one, and then Houston ended the half with a 10-1 lead. And Houston is that right behind Louis Chicago for top defense in, in NCAA is Houston, and they really showed that against Syracuse, shutting them down for the entire second half. Yeah, um, I, picked, I picked Syracuse to the Sweet 16 in most of my brackets because the 11 seed, that's right where Bayheim wants to be. And, and Buddy Buckets in those first two first two games was just ridiculous. I mean, he was putting on like 30 points. And then he comes into this game and goes 3-13 from the field, 1-9 from 3. Houston Houston is a very, very good team. Um, um, David Giroux, I think is his name. Yes. Or Dazon Giroux has grown into a, a great player in the tournament. He's one of my favorite players right now. And just to watch them do that to Buddy Beheim and a team who had been lights out throughout the tournament, holding them to uh, 28% shooting or something like that, was just was just insane to watch. And then we're going to move on to day two of the Sweet 16 with Gonzaga, Gonzaga versus, versus Creighton, which was a 83-65 victory for Gonzaga. A lot of the stuff that we we talked about with Baylor can be applied with Gonzaga, but even more so, especially with how they have ha, have they even been behind this in a game this tournament so far? Do you know? Uh, 
I don't, I don't think they've trailed at all. I mean, that, that, I, didn't, I don't remember watching much of that game just because I knew Gonzaga would just run Creighton off the floor. I mean, Gonzaga is just that good. They have Drew Timmy, he's one of the best scorers in the nation. Jalen Suggs is a top five pick. Uh, Ayai's been unconscious from three in the tournament. Kispert is one of the best players in the country. I mean, just all around, they are they are extremely impressive, and it's just I don't see anybody stopping them. And you going back to that game real quick? Drew Timmy played fantastic. He had twenty. He had like twenty something points points that game, and Timmy in, in particular was was very impressive in how he was able to convert off every single opportunity that he was given. Yeah, yeah. He was, I think he was 10 or 14 from the field that game. And it was just, he just put on a clinic. He put on a clinic in every game, obviously. But but that game was extremely impressive. And just to watch him go out there and um, and, and dominate like that was, was ridiculous, as you said. Up next was Michigan. Michigan winning 76 to 58 over Florida State. And this was a game that was really more built off of the hype because people were like, Oh, because oh, in the state of the bracket right now, Florida State may be the only team that could take that could take down Gonzaga, at least from what I what I've been taking in from the media. But Michigan, at at that time, even without Isaiah Livers, throughout throughout the first three games of their tournament, they were playing fantastic. And Hunter Dickinson in that game as well had a really good game. Yeah, Hunter Dickinson, he's a guy I've had a chance to to watch play a couple times. I watched him play in high school. He's just been super impressive throughout the, the season and the tournament. But I, I, I never personally never really thought Florida State had much of a chance. I mean, they have some size because they're a uh, they're a Leonard, Leonard Hamilton team, so they're obviously gonna have size. But but um, Michigan's just been just been impressive throughout the season. Obviously, we thought we thought the Big Ten was much better than they actually were, which is inflating our our, our thoughts of Michigan thinking they're one of the best teams in the nation. When obviously they're not, they just lost to UCLA. And, but it was just, I mean, they put on a clinic that game. They shot almost 50%, I think. It was just, I mean, it was pretty much domination from start to finish. Yeah, like you said, they shot 20, They shot about 49% for the field, and, and they also shot 65% from the line. One thing that's been very impressive about Michigan uh, as a team throughout the entire season is their size. They have a lot of size in there, a lot of size on their team. Dickinson especially, but also you have, you have other guys like you have other guys like Franz Wagner who are also really big and are able to cause disruption disruption in the in the paint. Yeah, I think you saw that last night against um, against UCLA. I mean, they outside of outside of Juzang, who did anything for UCLA? Nobody really. I mean, it was just despite losing, they still had a, an extremely impressive defensive performance. Held UCLA to fifty one points, which which wins you most games. But it, things just weren't clicking for them on offense. But but their size is was, was is what propelled them throughout the season, and it it was very impressive to watch. And I'm gonna move back to this just because I compl- I skipped by by accident. Uh, Arkansas edging out Oral Roberts seventy two to seventy on day one of the Sweet Sixteen. I was shocked by the way by the way Oral Roberts was playing, but. Honestly, they did have Max Abmas, who had a fantastic game. I think he had like twenty-five points, maybe, in that one. Yeah, he had twenty-five points against Arkansas, and they were leading by a sizable amount at the half. 
But there's some, but there's it, there's a trend with Arkansas that got them that got them to this point, and they I think it was like ten game. I think it was, if I'm correct, it's like six games they've trailed by ten or more, and they've come out and won those games. Yeah, Arkansas. Arkansas was one of my favorite teams throughout the season. I was hiring them all year, um, and then and then obviously they they're been fighting down. I mean, a deficit in almost every game I think in the tournament, and. And against Oral Roberts, it was no different. Max Amos, the leading scorer in the country, had 25. I mean, and he had a shot to win the game. It was just an impressive performance by Oral Roberts. But credits to um, credit to Arkansas and, and Musselman. He's he was a home run hire. And even with Moses Moody going four of 20 from the field, and they still find a way to win that game. It was just an impressive performance. And I don't think there's anything to for Oral Roberts to hang their heads about because for a 15 seed to go to the to the sweet for a 15 seed to go to the Sweet 16, that is something special, and it doesn't happen often. And I think there's I think that this is a run that we're going to be talking about for a good while. Yeah, I mean there had only been there had only been one six or 15 seed to do that before. Obviously, uh, Florida Gulf Coast and, and Dunk City back in back a couple years ago, but. I mean, and and Oral Roberts had a shot to win the game. I mean, they got the, arguably the cleanest shot you can get in that situation to win the game, and it just didn't fall. But I mean, I mean, what a run by Oral Roberts, and just what a performance in every game. Yeah, major props to Oral Roberts again. DJ, you have you have a bit more of a connection to our next game, UCLA versus Alabama. So just kind of give us a rundown. Well, I've been a huge Alabama. I mean, I'm I've had a, I've been. Huge Alabama fan throughout the season. I mean, huge. I've, I've tweeted out multiple times. They were top five team in the country. Had them in the final four of every single bracket I made. And and just, uh, obviously, I'm biased towards them because I've been so high on them throughout the year. But the way, I mean, they just didn't play their game. They, they didn't play their game against UCLA. They're not hitting threes. They're not going to win the game. And it, um... I didn't get to watch the whole thing, but I watched most of the second half. And um, I mean, they were seven twenty-eight from three. Like I said, they were twenty-five percent. And if they're not going to be able to play their game, um, they're just not going to. They're not going to win basketball games. And but then to see Otis Reese come in and make his first basket, or Alex Reese, my bad, Alex Reese come in and make his first basket on a thirty-footer to send it to overtime. That was that was insane. And then UCLA again just went on a huge run in overtime. But they have throughout the tournament, and it was just it was just a crazy game. And obviously, my hopes got up after regulation, and they were dashed quickly in in overtime. But still, an impressive performance by both teams. Arguably, the game of the series, and that's something that UCLA has been taking advantage of throughout the entire game. Is that if a team it. If a team has some, if a team has some sort of weakness, they've been able to exploit that, and we saw that. We saw that against Alabama. We even saw it as early as the first four when they when they found some holds against a crumbling Michigan State team. Yeah, I mean Mick Cronin. That's just what he does. He's one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most underrated coaches in America. I mean his his whole philosophy is built on defense. And that was one of the knocks on on him coming to UCLA. It was, it was what he transferred, what his philosophy transferred from Cincinnati to UCLA, and obviously, I mean it has. They're twenty one and nine. They're in the final four. Um, 
that's just what they do. They, they'll find a weakness and they'll exploit it until they can't exploit it anymore. And, and it's worked up to this point. I mean, they, the second team ever take down a, a two seed and a one seed in the, in the same tournament. It's just been – that's just what Mick Cronin does. The knock on him also was him not being able to win tournament games. And he's just – Throwing that out the window in this run, it's just been extremely, extremely impressive, and I'm finally glad, finally glad that Cronin is getting the respect he deserves as a coach. In the final game, I didn't watch this game, and I don't know if you have anything to add on either, but you know, USC thrashing Oregon 82-68. to 68. A really good positive for that I do know of for USC is the Mobley Twins, the Twin Towers, who have been playing on fire this tournament. Yeah, um, I had USC in the uh, Elite Eight of, in most of my brackets just because of Evan Mobley, and and he's been he was dominant up until the the Gonzaga game. But um, yeah, that was just impressive. They, I mean, they dominated uh, um, Oregon from start to finish. Uh, Eugene, I'm not even gonna try to say his last name. But he had 28 for 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 Oregon, and they just really and. Chris Duarte had 21, but other than that, they shut down everybody else. And then, and then Evan Mobley, obviously dominant. He only had 10 points, but just his presence there was impressive. Isaiah with 13, and then they had two 20-point scores. I mean, they were just hitting on all cylinders. They shot, I mean, I think it was like almost 60% from the field and from three. So, I mean, at that point, there wasn't much Oregon could do, and it was just a dominant performance. And all those and all those winning teams move on to the Elite Eight. And the Elite Eight, the Elite Eight two days started with the second seed Houston versus a twelve seed Oregon State. Honestly, I feel like in this game, Houston had the Houston always seemed like they had the advantage, even if the score was close, because they were because what is this is even the situation in the Loyola Chicago game as well. Is if is if their best player Ethan Thompson is quiet, then their entire team is quiet. Obviously, against Loyola Chicago, once he got some noise, the entire team was able to rally rally around him. But he he struggled to get that consistent streak throughout the game, and as a result, the entire team ended up ended up not being able to get over that hump. Yeah, um, Oregon State. I mean, Houston obviously has benefited from a very a very lucky draw as far as who they played in the tournament. They played four double digit seeds. But, um, I mean, yeah, they dominated Oregon State mostly. It only got close really towards the end. Like you said, Ethan Thompson only had 11 points on 3-12 shooting. So, I mean, it was it was pretty much, it was, it was a dominant performance by Houston. It really only got somewhat interesting there towards the end. But, but credits to, to um, Wayne Tinkle and Oregon State. They, that was an, a, an extremely impressive run to 3-16. And I think they're a team to watch out for next year in the Pac-12. And it was something I mentioned a little bit is about momentum is that they had a lot of momentum and they coasted for that as long as they possibly could. And you're right. They do have the pieces to make something special to make something special happen in the Pac-12. And as we saw, the Pac-12 is a very strong conference and I'm very interested to see how they're going to how they're going to shake up the landscape next season. Yeah, I, like like I said earlier, the Pac-12 is everything we thought the Big 10 was. We thought I mean we thought the Big 10 was the SEC in football. We thought they were just their teams were the cream of the crop. We thought they were just going to dominate throughout this tournament. And and obviously, we were all wrong. I mean, Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts. You had 
Um, I can't remember teams off the top of my head, but it just it was just not that impressive. Iowa losing to Oregon in the, in the round of 32. It was just a very disappointing weekend for the Big Ten. But for the Pac-12, I mean, what more could you ask for? I mean, you had four teams in the Sweet 16, I think it was, or Elite Eight or something like that. I mean, I mean, what more could you ask for as a conference? And then you got UCLA in the final four as an 11 seed. I mean, just 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 speaks to how I mean, there's a perception around the Pac-12 football and the basketball just because they're on the West Coast and nobody watches them that they don't get the respect they deserve. And I think they proved that this this March and and just credit to them. Moving on to Baylor versus Arkansas. I didn't watch bits and pieces, but from what, from what I've what I've been able to gather, Bay, Baylor had the advantage the entire time, which isn't that new for Arkansas, who's been having to come back game after game. But I feel in this this is a situation that the gas just ran out, and they just didn't have didn't have what they needed to put together another another insurmountable comeback. Yeah, I mean, especially in the first half, you can really see that, that Baylor was, I mean, just just that good. I mean, they dominated the first half. They played almost a perfect first half. And, st- and led by eight at halftime, Arkansas put together a run and, and, and kind of made it close. But then again, I mean, their, guy, their top guys just weren't hitting. Moses Moody up was 2 of 10 again. And and um, Note fouled out very, very early in the second half. And, um, it was it was just an impressive performance by Baylor. I mean, they shot almost fifty percent from the field. I mean, it just shows again that that Baylor is just that good of a team. And even when Arkansas was playing an almost perfect game in the second half, they held them off and and just they're just that good. Moving on to the final day of the Elite Eight, Gonzaga versus USC. It's the exact same story that's been every single game for Gonzaga. Taking the lead early, suffocating their opponent and doing absolutely, absolutely everything they can to hold on to what they got. The big three had a really good game for themselves, especially Jalen Suggs going for a double double. He would have had a triple double if he had two more assists. But the thing that I noticed is that how they is and the, and something I've been noticing throughout the tournament for them is that how they enact pressure and they mostly do it their offense, but their defense has been really understated and they were playing a fantastic man defense because if there was one opportunity that that USC had to take a shot and they didn't take it, every other man on the court was was blocked and they they were doing that the entire game and it worked wonders. Yeah, I mean. Um, like you said, I mean, uh, people were per, were questioning how Gonzaga would perform because of Evan Mobley for USC, and, and, and he still had an impressive performance, but but just the way that they spread you out on offense, I mean, there's nobody you can leave, really leave unguarded, or, you, I mean, you got to be up in their face nonstop, and USC just, just was not. And it was just it was just an extremely dominant performance. I mean, Timmy with twenty three, uh, Jalen Suggs with almost triple double, Corey Kispert who didn't even play that well or didn't shoot that well from the field still dropped eighteen, and it was just it was just extremely impressive to watch. I mean, it's pretty much a clinic at this point that they're putting on. It's just I don't I don't think we've seen a season this special from any team in the in the history of college basketball at least since I've been alive. We'll get to that. We'll get to that in a moment. But you you said it. I mean, if there's a 
Playing against Gonzaga especially is a situation where you're expected to play near perfection. And if you make one mistake, they convert and get points off of that. And that's something we've been seeing through the entire tournament. And granted to the team and the Mo and the Twin Towers, they played a decent game. But when you're up against someone like Gonzaga, it's just not enough. Yeah, I mean, Gonzaga's, Gonzaga's B game is, is better than most teams best game of the season. I mean, they're just that good. There's, they got uh, a top five pick. They got Nimhard, who, who was a, a high-level starter at Florida, I think it was. And, and then he just goes there, and he's, he's like a fourth or fifth option. And then they got Timmy, and they got Kispert. I mean, they're just as complete a team as you can as you can uh, put together, and that's just part of the system they have there. Mark Fuse put together a great system. All those guys have bought into it. I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous what they're doing at Gonzaga. And uh, I don't see anybody slowing them down anytime soon. And our final game of the Elite Eight is the U- is UCLA versus the Michigan Wolverines. It was a very tight game, but honestly, Michigan did not play at their standard because they had they had opportunities throughout the game to maybe get a further lead, and they didn't take them. And UCLA really, really beat Michigan at the perimeter because... With their size, you can't you can't really go in the paint because they have guys like Hunter Dickinson that are gonna beat you down there. So they stayed at the they stayed at the perimeter and performed really well. That being said, in the first half, there were only three players that actually scored for for UCLA. One of them being Johnny Jazang, which for all intents and purposes really carried UCLA throughout this game, scoring twenty eight points. Yeah, Juzang's been Juzang's been on a on a tear throughout this tournament. I mean, it's just been ridiculous to watch him to watch him carry this team pretty much in every game except Alabama. And I mean, yeah, I I for um, I, I think you may know, but I needed UCLA to win that game to to pretty much lock me up a a to a win in my bracket pool. And obviously they delivered, but just to watch Juzang. Um, carry them throughout that first half I mean I think they had like at one point he scored 14 straight or something ridiculous like that and they just had no answers for him on Michigan's side and then I think I don't think Michigan really took advantage of uh of, of Hunter Dickinson like they they have throughout the year I mean UCLA put a 6-9 Cody Riley on it for most of the game and and Hunter Dickinson is what like 7-1 7-2 and they just they just didn't feed him like they tend to do this big 10 freshman of the year averaging almost a double double and and UCLA really did a good job just just answering the shots that Michigan was throwing at them and then obviously holding them off at the very end and you said Michigan you know they have a lot of pros on their team and whether or not you want to argue that Isaiah Livers being out hurt them people can argue that all they want but the fact of the matter is they, I don't think they played as good as they were capable, and especially down the stretch, when we were getting like down to the final minutes of the half, I think they had a lot more opportunities to to leapfrog the UCLA than they actually took. And I think if they took that, it'd be Michigan in the final four, not UCLA. But granted, they, but granted, they didn't take those opportunities, and that's the price you got to pay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they didn't take, they didn't take. Any opportunities they had, they didn't play a great game. They didn't play a good game at all. I mean, Franz Wagner was, was one of ten from the field, 
uh, uh, Mike Smith was was one of seven. Um, Hunter Dickinson was really the only one who performed very well, and he only had 11 points. I mean, they just they just didn't play a good game, and I, obviously, I think I told one of my buddies prior to the, the start of the tournament if they had Isaiah Livers, I think I'm picking them to win the to win the championship potentially. So obviously, that sucks. They couldn't be at at um at full strength, but I mean that's just just part of the the risk playing college basketball, and I mean not much you can do about it. But yeah, they just didn't capitalize last night. And as we segue between the Elite Eight and the final and previewing the Final Four, I'm going to take a quick second to highlight the bracket, the Stars Mill bracket challenge, and give you our quick top three and our top and our top faculty member. Currently at the top and tied for the top are our senior Tucker Posey and senior Declan Dunn, both with 730 points. Tucker has Gonzaga winning it all, while Declan has Houston winning it all. So, so honestly, whatever happened. Between then, it's honestly going to come down to how Gonzaga and Houston play. And behind them in third is Josh Tate with 700 points and also choosing Baylor to win. And with our ma- our top faculty member is Coach D- is Coach Peyton Roth. She currently has 700 points and has picked Gonzaga to play. And now let's go to the Elite Eight. Let's, let's talk about the Final Four. 68 teams have come. 64 have gone. And now we are down to four. Let's start with the let's start with the champions of the South, the top seed of Baylor Bears. DJ, why don't you lead us off? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Baylor number two overall seed. They're just an extremely impressive team. They got, I think it's seven or eight guys that are shooting over forty percent. I mean, it's just forty percent from three. And, and it's just impressive. Everybody knows about Jared Butler. I mean, one of the best players in the country. And uh, Davion Mitchell, I mean, he's, they've both been extremely impressive. But I think the real X factor for Baylor, if they want to win the championship, is Maceo T. I mean, I mean, what a player he is. He, I mean, he put up 22 against Arkansas, I think. Hit a few clutch threes. And, and I think he's just an X factor in the way he shoots and the way he scores. And if he's hitting, I don't think anybody outside of Gonzaga is, is good enough to to hang with Baylor. But another guy I really think um, pushes this team over the top most of the time is Matthew Mayer. I mean, a six nine guard forward coming off the bench. I mean, he can shoot. He can he can play inside. He's a good defender. I mean, I mean, they just have all the pieces you want in a team that that is a top seed and it's just been extremely impressive to watch and they just have all the pieces and this is a team some people kind of some people may have dogged on but they like in Zaga they are on another level than anybody else and if and if Houston wants to win they're gonna have to play really really they're gonna play really really well speaking of which they will be playing the Midwest champions the second seeded Houston Cougars who are a fantastic defensive team right now? The second, the second defense, the second best defensive team in the country, and a lot of that has to do with Dejon Giroux, one of the one of the most dominant defensive players in the country. But he also does have some does have some players around him that have been pretty good, like Quentin Grimes and Ray, and Reggie Cheney, to where even and this has been a. Critic, a critic of a criticism of them throughout the season, and especially going into some of their tougher games of the tournament, that are they going to be able to get the points 
to put their defensive team over the edge. And the answer that we saw in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, was yes, they can. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kelvin Sampson is, is a great coach. And obviously, I mean, he prides himself on defense. He prides himself on, on offense as well. And they got a guy like Quentin Grimes who's just been – I mean, he's he, when he gets going, there's there's not many players better than him in, in America. And and a guy like Dazon Giroux who's just been – he's been a, a hustle player. I mean, he's, he's all over the place on offense, all over the place on defense. And, and – through his numbers, you might not see that. I mean, he's only averaging 10 points, but he's averaging five and a half rebounds and, and four assists. I mean, he's just all over the place for for Houston, and he's really um, really impressed throughout the tournament. And, I mean, they just have other guys like Justin Gorham. He, he's been extremely impressive throughout the tournament, and, and Reggie Chaney has, has contributed a lot, I think. And, yeah, I think, I think they're a solid team. I think they're a very, very good team. But I just don't see them competing with with a Baylor team, really. I'm under the impression personally that they what if they if they want to be Baylor, they have to be able to match what they can to be able to match what Baylor can do, and that's going to be very difficult for them. But with their stellar defense, if they're if they can if they play a lights out defense and they're and their offense delivers, then it could be a very close game, and they could end up getting out of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if if if, if everything goes their way, I think they could they could uh, they could beat Baylor. But I mean, for Baylor, you're just not going to shut down everybody Baylor has. You're not going to shut down um, all their guys at the same time. And they're they're going to have two or three guys hitting all game. I mean, Baylor just has too many weapons. And and they're too good of a defensive team, and I just I just really don't see Houston being able to to keep up with with Baylor in a forty minute contest. We will see at five fourteen at Saturday as Baylor takes on Houston in the first game of the Final Four. Game two coming out of the West, the undefeated thirty to thirty zero top seeded of the entire tournament, Gonzaga Bulldogs, and holy cow! What a team this actually is. I think that a lot of people may, including myself, may have dismissed them for the for the week conference they played in, but geez, the the best scoring team in the country, a a big three of Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, and Corey Kispert, who are all talented and extremely versatile. And a defense that's been able to suffocate opponents like USC. This team may be unstoppable. Well, I, I, I don't think they get enough credit for, for the, the non-conference games they schedule. I mean, I mean they, had, they had Kansas. They had games against uh, – they, they beat West Virginia. They had a game against Baylor, unfortunately, got canceled. They had a game against Iowa, Virginia. I mean, they and, – and they dominated all those games. And I just don't think they get enough credit for, for the, the, uh, the out-of-conference that they schedule. And then, and then it's whenever, when they come into the – to the tournament and, and continue to dominate. It's just people see it as unexpected. But I mean, Gonzaga is just—I mean—they're ridiculous. I mean, they got Timmy, they got Jalen Suggs, they got Corey Kispert, they got Nimhard. I mean, they—I mean, everything you want in a basketball team. I mean, they have—they have a star point guard, star power forward, star center. 
I mean, I just don't see anybody stopping them, and it's it's been very memorable to watch them to watch them go on this run. Arguably one of the best basketball runs in history. This is it, they make basketball look easy, to put it bluntly, and that's probably my biggest. It, my biggest concern with Gonzaga is, and hear me out on this, is that they is that they've blown people out, and if they can bl- keep this momentum, then yeah, there's nothing to worry about. But what if they do get behind, or what if they are put in a tough situation? Will they be able to end up edging the edging out in a very clutch all eyes are all eyes are on you situation? And I don't think we've really seen that from Gonzaga this season. I would argue that we have. I mean, they have those. They have those early season games against against Kansas and and uh, West Virginia and Iowa and Virginia and and West Virginia. That was the last game that that uh, Gonzaga won by by single digits. And um, so I would argue that we have seen them in these in these close games. And I, obviously, they've come through and 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 won all of them. But um, they're just. I, I don't worry about them getting behind. I think Mark Few is that good of a coach. I think Suggs, Tammy, and Kispert are, are that good of players. I think even if they do get behind, they have they have everything it, it takes to, to come back and win a game. And I'm not really worried about that going going to the to the final four and potentially an after championship. And I think you are right about that. I don't really think this it's kind of, it's I think it's Fair to, I think in my eyes, it's fair to question that, but ultimately, there is no room room for concern for Gonzaga because they are that good. They will be playing against the East champions, the 11 seeded first four to final four UCLA, UCLA Bruins, and they are going against what seems like is going to be their death sentence. But let's kind of just admire the season they had. They lost two or three of their best players throughout the season, one to G League, and they lost their top player to an ACL injury, and they end up making the first four. It kind of was a toss-up play, but they end up going down big against Michigan State, and it looked like it's, looked like during the second half they weren't going to end up end up making it. They did, and they and they kept winning up to this point. They looked they they looked like they were going to be cast off against Alabama and Michigan in those matchups. And they won those as well. I don't know how good they're going to do against UCLA, but what I can say is that they have clawed their way to this point, and I can, ex- and they can put up a fight, and that's for sure. And Johnny Jazan has been fantastic for them. Like you were saying earlier, clawing, clawing UCLA to this tournament, carrying them to this point. What a fantastic player he actually is. Yeah, Johnny Juzang. I mean, he was he was a five star out of high school. Went to Kentucky. Obviously, obviously that didn't work out. But but yeah, I think he's he's a prime example of, of the positive side of the transfer portal. Transferring from a, a program like Kentucky and then going to UCLA and just kind of finding his spot. And, and he's really been I mean dominant throughout this tournament. I mean, he dropped 20, 23, I think it was against against Michigan State. Or twenty-seven, something like that, and then he does it again against BYU. And then, what really impressed me is, is when they played Alabama. He, he had a, a very bad game for his standards. I mean, five eighteen from the field, thirteen points. Just didn't play that well, and they still found a way to to win that game in overtime by double digits. And and another guy that I think has has really helped them on this run is is Jaime Hawkins. I mean, he was he was top one under recruit too, 
If I recall, he's averaging 12.6 rebounds. Shoots almost 40% from three. Um, he's, a, he's a good defender. And, that, and that's the one thing about UCLA that, that is going to, to give them a chance against Gonzaga if they, if they have one, is their defense. Uh, I mean, Cronin just, just preaches that defense. And while I don't think they have a chance, I think Gonzaga will win by 10, 15 points at least. It's been an impressive run, and it's nothing to hang the hats on that lose to, to arguably the best, the best college basketball team we've ever seen, and and it just shows that that their future is very bright in Los Angeles. And we can't, and we and Mick Cronin cannot be understated. An extremely smart, an extremely tactical coach. He's been able to exploit exploit teams throughout the entire tournament, and we've seen that time and time again. But UCLA is just on another level from what, from anything Mick Cronin and his team could think could put together. And if they want to win, if they really want to win, they're going to have to play the game of their lives and then some. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Gonzaga's like I've, I've said it multiple times throughout this podcast, but but Gonzaga's B or C game is is better than than ninety nine percent of teams A games, and it's just I mean, obviously, I mean they've been dominant throughout the season, the twenty six with straight by double digits. I mean, it, it's just insane, and it, that's the one thing I think UCLA does have to their advantage is is um. Is Mick Cronin just his philosophy and how he how he how he preaches defense and preaches defense before offense really and, and if they want to win this game then like you said they're gonna have to have the game of their life and I just don't really see it happening. Let's close this by a little prediction. Right now, who do you think who's who? What's the finals matchup and who's winning? Oh, this is this is easy to me. I'm gonna I'm gonna ride with what I picked at the beginning of the tournament. I got Gonzaga over Baylor in the national championship. Uh, I just think Gonzaga is just too much. I think I think Baylor might be able to to uh, keep it close. I mean, I think Gonzaga could very easily win that game by 15 plus points. But I think I think Baylor really has what it takes to keep it close. I mean, they when they get going from three. I mean, there's there's not many teams hanging with them. And um, just Jalen Suggs, Corey Kesper, Drew Timmy. Um, there's there's too much to handle. They don't nobody has enough on defense to stop that firepower. Going into the tournament, I predicted it was going to be Illinois over Michigan. That didn't work out for me. And with the with what I've seen and I've seen so much, especially from Baylor and Gonzaga, I can't I can't disagree with Gonzaga over Baylor. It's just the match that is going right now. These two teams are above everybody else, and Gonzaga and Baylor is gonna give Gonzaga their most tightly contested match of their most tightly tightly contested game, in my opinion. And it, it, I think it could be very close than what we think, than what you think. Yeah, I, I I think Baylor has everything they, that you need in the team to keep it close with Gonzaga, but but I just think Gonzaga is just just on another level. And after, I mean, the narrative around them coming into this offseason was was they can't win in the, in the or coming into this postseason is that they can't win in the tournament. I mean, they went to that national championship against North Carolina a couple of years ago and ended up losing that. 
And I just think they're on a mission. It's kind of like Virginia a couple years ago. They lost to UMBC in the first round. Came back and won the national championship next year. And I just think they're on a mission to prove that, that we are the best the best college basketball team of all time. And I don't see anybody stopping them. Now, if they go into that national championship and win by, by 15 or 20 points, I think there's no question that they're the, the best college basketball team we've ever seen. Will they do it? We will have to find out on Saturday as starting at 514 as Baylor takes on Houston as takes on Houston and the second game at 834 as Gonzaga takes on UCLA. Thank you all for listening. DJ, it's been great to have you on this podcast. If you want, you can plug it plug Dorjan or anything you do right now. Yeah, everybody just can just go read sports reporters at Dorjan. It's just me down here. I cover all the sports for Georgia Southern, all the main sports for Georgia Southern right now. Uh, you can find me at, at DJ underscore Cadden on, on Twitter and and the George Ann on Twitter, obviously. And just just make sure to read my stuff and go Eagles. Thank you very much for your time, man. Got you. And thank you all for listening. Check out, check out the Final Four in the National Championship on Monday. It's going to be some pretty exciting stuff. From myself and DJ Cadden, thank you for listening. Go Panthers.